Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, we are celebrating the second Sunday of Easter by looking at a passage from John chapter 20, when Jesus reveals himself to his disciples later in the day on Easter Sunday, and particularly how he reveals himself to the one who's become known as Doubting Thomas. Lots of really good stuff in this passage. And just a quick reminder, if you're one of the volunteers uh, that serves in any capacity in North Shore Vineyard on the weekend, we want to thank you with our blues and barbecue celebration this Friday night. You're invited at 7 o'clock, live music from Big Daddy-O, and I'll be cooking up my own slow-smoked brisket and pulled pork. See you there. passage we're looking at this morning is on the front of your bulletin. This is John 20, 19 through 31. And I'll read it out to you. On the evening of that first day of the week, this is Easter Sunday, the original resurrection day, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed his hands in his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, I can see why he went with Thomas. Um, <laughs> good way to get beat up in in grade school. Um, One of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, put your fingers here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put them into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is a short little passage, but there's a whole lot of different things going on. This is the second Sunday of Easter. Now, we live in in a culture that makes... Easter into one day of the year, uh, and Christmas into one day. But throughout church history, uh, Easter has actually been a season. It's a special time, kind of like Lent. In Lent, we, you may, you know, we may abstain from certain things. We, we look at the darker side of Christianity, so to speak. We, we look at the suffering of Jesus. But, but on Easter Sunday, it's a party. 
I had my first burger in like three months the other day and, and promptly went into a five-hour coma afterwards. But I have to say, it was tasty. Um, but it's a, I, why did I do that? Because it's a party. It's Resurrection Day. And in the, in the history of the church, the Easter season was a time of great feasting. It's a time of throwing a party. Like I said last weekend at, at the Easter service, the reason that the church gets together on Sunday and not Saturday is because not, you know, Saturday was the Sabbath day. The, the, it's a holy day in the Jewish calendar. And you would think, like, that's the day we need to meet. But the church has gotten together on Sundays. Why? Because of resurrection. Because really, every time the church gets together on a Sunday morning, we are actually celebrating the resurrection. Because without the resurrection, all of this is kind of pointless. That's what Paul said. <laughs> without the resurrection, we're a bunch of idiots. We should just be at home. But, but we celebrate the resurrection. And so today, we're celebrating, we're going to look over these next few weeks, we're going to be looking into to the resurrection story from different angles, because this is the season that we're in. Now, every Sunday after that, we'll still celebrate the resurrection, but this time we're, we're specifically looking into it. And this is one of those stories that, that really shows us just how crazy it was. I know why Jesus had to say, first thing when he shows up, appears to them, you know, peace be with you, because they'd have freaked out. I mean, imagine somebody you saw brutally executed just a couple days before, all of a sudden, boom, appears while you're eating dinner. I mean, I'd be losing control of some bodily functions there. Uh, Jesus says, peace be with you. (laughs) It's okay, peace. I'm good, I'm good. Why does Jesus show up and reveal him to his disciples this way? Because Jesus makes a point when he talks to his disciples, he he actually breaks bread with them, uh, as as we see in the Gospel of Luke. He he lets them touch his nail-scarred hands and, and where the spear went in his side. Why does Jesus go to all this trouble? And I think there's a few reasons why. Now, I want to say, I'm just speculating here. Uh, We don't really know, so take that with a grain of salt. I'm just speculating here, but I think they're pretty good speculations, if I say so myself. The first is, Jesus wanted to show his disciples he was fully human. One of the greatest heresies in the early church that has continued to this day is Gnosticism. Anybody know what Gnosticism is? It's, it's this belief where it was a Greek kind of religious belief. There was a, a collection of different Gnostic ideas. But basically, Gnostics believe that this physical, material world was evil. Now, some of you may have heard this growing up in church because Gnosticism still has infiltrated the church to this day. This world is evil. Anything that comes from this world, this physical material world, is evil. And we need to escape it because we are just souls trapped in in these fallen bodies of flesh. You may have heard that language before. We're just caged up. We need to be set free. Gnostics believe the way that you get set free is through secret knowledge. Gnosis is the, the root word of knowledge, the Greek root word. So you, you find this knowledge which will enlighten you and free you from this evil, material, physical world. 
Now, a lot of you, if you've grown up in church, that sounds exactly why Jesus came. You're like, wait, I thought that was the gospel. Jesus came to take us out of these, these evil bodies and, and, and free us to a disembodied reality somewhere else. But that's not the gospel. And, the, and if you read the gospels in the New Testament, you find that they take great pains to make sure that you see that this Jesus who came, he, he wasn't just a ghost. I remember my first probably 15 years of being a Christian when I would worship and I would sing these songs to Jesus. I, you know, I think we all have a picture of, of, of God, some kind of picture in our mind. And I would always imagine Jesus kind of like Obi-Wan Kenobi after he got killed. You know, in Star Wars, he, 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 you know, he's this mentor figure who, who helps Luke Skywalker out. But he's, he's more like a ghost, right? You know, I mean, he's not material. And I kind of imagine Jesus like he's this, you know, kind of, you know, spiritual figure, but he doesn't have any physicalness to him. But Jesus makes sure to let the disciples know that he's, he's physical. Touch me. See my wounds. Which brings me to another thing. Jesus, according to Paul, Paul says that Jesus was the first fruit of many brethren. That, that what happens with Jesus is going to happen to all of us. One day we're all going to be uh, resurrected. Ain't no grave going to hold this body down. <laughs> Ain't no grave. When I hear that trumpet sound, going to get up out of the ground. Uh-oh, about to have church. <laughs> What is he doing up there? Um, but, but Paul put it like this, that what happened with Jesus is going to happen with us. We look forward to that. We look forward to an upgraded, resurrected body that will not be uh, marred by sin and death anymore, that, that we will live the way we were ultimately created back in Genesis to live. So why is it that Jesus, the first fruit of many brethren, his resurrected body is scarred up? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of hoping for the upgrade where, you know, I'm, I'm not all scarred up and everything. I'd like to look a little bit better than I look at this point in my life. <laughs> Jesus, he has scars. Why is that? Have, if, I, I suspect if, if we went around the room, because I've, I've had many conversations with, with each of you. And, and when you're, you know, you're breaking bread, you're sharing dinner together, or you're hanging out with some, 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 some people, the stories that we end up sharing when we get beyond the saints and the weather, <laughs> when we get down to the things that really matter to us, I can bet you that, that the, the stories that you've told over and over in your life were not kind of the miraculous stories of how you got blessed. Like, I won the lottery when I was 25, you know? It's the stories about how when you went through something and you thought it was almost all over, you thought you were going to die, you thought your business was going to fail, you were, you were being attacked by enemies and somehow you pulled through. Those are the stories that really mean something, don't they? It's not the stories of just simply blessing. It's the, it's the making it through hardships and coming out the other side. I mean, David Ramsey, who does the Financial Peace University, I mean, that's a big part of his story. He went bankrupt, and, and you know, he did a lot of stupid things business-wise. And, and now he's got that as, as part of his story and part of his testimony of how, how he can share with others. Holocaust survivors. 
would, would, you know, people who were in the, the concentration camps, they would get tattooed with numbers. The Nazis made the Jewish people, you're not a person anymore, you're just a number. And many of these people who survived the ordeal of the concentration camps, when they got out, they weren't trying to find a tattoo removal clinic or so, find something to cover it up. They wore those numbers with pride. Why? Because they, did, did they uh, approve of what Hitler did? No. It's a trophy to say, I made it through. Hitler tried to say, I wasn't a person. I'm here today. Where's Hitler? I believe Jesus in his resurrected body carries the scars because they're the trophies of his love for us. They're the marks of the thing that that, that meant the most to Jesus. And I believe also that, that Jesus shows his disciples that he's human because he shows that he will maintain his connection and solidarity with our humanity. You can read the New Testament. There's no point where Jesus is like, okay, I've had enough of this, this flesh cage. <laughs> I'm going back to being God up there. Uh, think about this. Jesus maintains his humanity throughout eternity. Jesus hasn't turned into Obi-Wan Kenobi, disembodied spirit up there on the clouds in heaven. Jesus maintains his humanity. This is why the author of Hebrews says we can boldly approach Jesus because he knows what we're going through. Not just like God out there, but, but like God with us. He knows what it's like to have a human body and face the things that we face. Come on, somebody, shout me down now. That's good. That gives me hope. I'm not just, when I'm praying, I'm not just praying to some spiritual force out there. I'm not praying to some distant, removed deity who doesn't understand what I'm going through, who, who I'm just a, an ant, something different to him. No, God in Jesus Christ has shown his solidarity with us. I'm going to become one of you guys so that you can be like me. Now, next we see in this, in this passage that all of this happens on the first day of the week. This is, this is Easter, as I said last weekend. If you read the Gospel of John, we spent like two and a half years going through the Gospel of John a couple of years ago. Um, but it, it was a fun series. But, but reading the Gospel of John that slowly, it was, a, it was really transformative for me because you begin to see how much John, with his Gospel, makes parallels with the book of Genesis. How's Genesis start? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How does John start? In the beginning, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and everything got created through this Word. Jesus, capital W. And so, Easter Sunday is really the first day of new creation. It's the first day of a new creation, just as God had the first day of original creation. Easter Sunday is the first day of the week, the first day of a God's new creation, his new exodus. And so what God then does to his disciples is very interesting. It says in verse 22 and 23, said, He took a deep breath and breathed into them, received the Holy Spirit, Receive the Holy Spirit. What does God do when he creates man in the beginning? 
He breathes the breath of life in him. You know, the Hebrew word for, for spirit that's translated spirit is ruach. And, and that word can also be translated breath. It can be translated wind. In fact, when you're reading the Old Testament, I mean, this word pops up everywhere. But Bible translators have a hard time sometimes saying, is, is, are they referring to the spirit here <laughs> or the breath? Or wind, because for the Hebrew people, the fact that you are standing up right now breathing means that God's working your life. That ought to give us a little humility when we're talking with other people that are outside of Christianity. If they're walking around breathing, they've got a measure of the Spirit of God. Or they'd be dead. It wouldn't be human. God created us to be filled with his life, his spirit. So Jesus, on the first day of the week of new creation, finds his disciples and he breathes into them, receive the Holy Spirit, receive the animating force of life that comes from the third member of the Trinity. (laughs) Participate in this thing that God's doing by his power. I love this because the ramifications for this are, are huge. The disciples have been with Jesus for a few years now. And Jesus has told them, he's like, i got to leave. But it's good that I'm going because I'm going to send the the paraclete, the advocate, the helper. And he's going to remind you of everything that I've said. He's going to guide you into truth. And so here it goes. Jesus breathes on them. No longer will they have a relationship that is based with an external God, but now they will have the internal reality of God within them and in one another. Now they won't go to a temple to worship the Lord. They've become the temple of the Lord. This is a new way to be human. Now, I love the way Eugene Peterson translates this next part in the message. Jesus says uh, on the first part, he says, If you forgive the sins of any, they will be forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the way Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. If you forgive someone's sins, they're gone for good. If you don't forgive sins, what are you going to do with them? (laughs) I love that. In this new reality, in this new creation, in light of the resurrected God, who dying on the cross said, forgive them, Father, they don't even know what they're doing. In In light of this new reality, how can you just not forgive? If you don't forgive people's sins, what are you going to do? That's the old way of thinking. That comes from the old world before Christ. In light of the Messiah, if you don't forgive people, then what are you going to do with them? It doesn't make sense anymore. Now, I want to get to a part that gives me a lot of hope. Doubting Thomas. Do, do any of you in here sometimes struggle with doubts? My name's Crispin. I'm a doubtaholic. <laughs> I do. And I, unfortunately, when I first became a Christian, I, I came to learn that Christianity was, was more about uh, removing yourself from doubt. 
and to express any doubt. Anytime I would ask the pastor in my first church, I know I drove him crazy. Like, what, what about this? Oh, we don't ask those kind of questions. Just believe me. Take my word for it. Okay. That worked for a little bit. But pretty soon, if you've got questions that you just keep pushing down, well, you, you end up with a pretty small God. Because you end up with a God that you're, you're afraid gets intimidated by your questions. I don't get intimidated when my kids ask me questions about stuff. Sometimes I don't like the questions they're asking and don't want to answer them. So Thomas was not with the original disciples when they saw Jesus, when Jesus showed him in his hands and his feet. So they, they're telling Thomas about all this stuff, and Thomas is like, well, unless I see him with my own eyes and touch, touch his wounds and put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. Well, here's the deal. Thomas gets a bad rap, but all the other disciples had already done that. You with me? So I think if Peter had been the guy left out, we'd be talking about doubting Peter or doubting Andrew. We get doubting Thomas. Poor guy. He missed out on it. But when Jesus shows up to Thomas, what does Jesus do? He says, check it out. Come here. Feel this. Now, there's plenty of places in in the Gospels where Jesus tells his disciples, Oh, ye of little faith. This isn't one of those places. Jesus is not freaked out by the fact that Thomas wants to see. Hello, they've never seen a resurrection before, except, I guess, Lazarus, but not this kind of thing. (laughs) He says, come check it out. And he believed. And Jesus said, blessed are you because you've seen and believed, but it's even more blessed for those that don't get to have this experience. What does this tell me about God? I don't think he's so freaked out by our questions. I really don't. In fact, I will will say this. A lot of people think doubt is the antithesis of faith. I don't think that at all. I think that if you you have a deep faith, you're going to have a lot of doubts. Show me a person that has never interrogated their beliefs, never questioned anything, and I'll show you a person with very shallow faith. Serious. Have you ever read the book of Psalms? My goodness, you'd think like, this guy would get, David, he'd get kicked out of churches. He's going, God, where are you? I don't know. I thought you loved me. I thought, I, I thought you were the God of Israel who took care of your people. Seems like you're taking care of everybody else. Now, for some reason, when we read the Psalms, we, we don't see the doubts. But man, it's, it can be a depressing book. I think we doubt sometimes, like David, because we care about God deeply. And we care about meaning. And we care about God's purposes. And we see things sometimes that, this doesn't make sense to me, God. If this is what you're really like, and this is what I see happening, what is the deal? Do you not care? Is there something that I'm missing? Have I got this wrong? Help explain this to me. Because I'm struggling here. I, I doubt a lot, but I believe, I believe Jesus, and I believe my doubts have sprung from the fact that I take it seriously. 
A lot of people say, oh, if you go to seminary, you're going to become, you know, one of them liberal people who just take the Bible. I, I know a lot of people who've gone to seminary, and the thing that, that messed them up is they started reading the Bible, like really reading it in the Greek and stuff. They're like, man, I was doing good before. They weren't trying. They, they went to seminary because they loved God, and they cared deeply about these things. And then they get doubts because they're looking into it. I think most people don't struggle with doubt because they don't really look into anything. They just take what they've been handed from their parents growing up, and they never ask any questions, and they end up with a faith that is non-threatening and doesn't do anything in the world. But what I see here is, you know, Jesus, I think he's okay with our doubts. He's okay with them. There's a type of doubt that is rooted in, I don't want to believe in God. That's not what we're talking about here. But if you sincerely want to go after God and know him, I think he's okay, as long as you keep seeking. Jesus said, seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. That word, seek, and knock, and ask, it's really a word that means keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. You know, I told my own kids, I hope they they end up with a faith in Jesus. I do. But I'm not pressured them a lot because, I mean, for one, I'm a pastor, and I think pastors' kids get pressured into a lot of stuff. I've seen that. But what I tell my kids is, however you end up coming down on this thing, keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Interrogate your beliefs. Interrogate your worldview. Don't just accept things the way they are. That's not an attitude of doubt. It's someone who cares about this life and God and meaning and everything. Religion works the best when it doesn't just give us answers, but it gives us better questions. I was talking to somebody the other day, said uh, at the end of the service, hey, I love coming here because every time I leave, I leave with, with more questions. I'm like, that's one of the best compliments we can get. Not that I wrapped up everything in a tice, nice little bow and gave you the answers for everything you need, but gave you some questions because you've got the spirit of God within you and you can go with the spirit of God and those doubts and you can wrestle with them on your own and find out what God shows you because if I talk you into something you can be talked out by the next preacher (laughs) but if the Holy Spirit reveals it to you that's going to stay with you because with it will come transformation Because after all, what this passage shows me, at the end of the day, it's not so much about intellectual beliefs. It's about living a new kind of humanity that is based in the Spirit of God. Now John says here at the end of this, he says, I put all these stories in here so hopefully you will believe in Jesus. Those of you that haven't got the chance to touch him with your own hands and see him at work. I put all these stories in here. And there's many other stories. And I couldn't put them all in here. But I put these stories in here so that that those of you who haven't been with him can believe. But what John's getting at here is not an intellectual bunch of rules that we follow. He's getting into like the same kind of relationship that the disciples had with him. That we could know God by the Spirit. Even 
in our frailty, even in our doubts, that we could step into this new creation as a new humanity. All right, why don't y'all stand up? Lord, I just want to pray for all the, all the doubters in here this morning. All the skeptics, the cynics, the, the, the ones who may think a lot, may have a hard time sometimes with faith, 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 faith who might have felt like they didn't have a place. And, and God, I just pray today that, that those who struggle with understanding and, and, and believing, God, that they would find you in the midst of those places today. God, they would know that you are near to them. And God, I pray for every one of us today that you would help us to live by your spirit in this world. That we wouldn't just act like this world is just the same old world, but we would live a distinctly different life, empowered by your Spirit. And that you would make this church into a distinctly different community that that shows salt and light to the rest of this world and reveals what your kingdom is like, God. And we ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen.